Welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 89. We're not far off 100 episodes. Jesus. Another cake. Another, another cake. cake. Yes, another cake. I think it was Alistair who sent it to us yeah. last time. Yeah, come on, Al. Sort us a cake <laughs> out, mate. Sort us a cake out. That was uh, really nice of him. That's going to be in that a That was the time. greatest day. It was such a good day. I am Mo, and I am here with Al. How you doing, Al? I'm good. Good to hear. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm pretty good. Who I'm also here with, obviously, as is implied. Uh, <laughs> there is, oh, I don't even know where to start this week. There is so much going on. Big reunions, tours, mad videos, documentaries, uh, festival announcements, Jesus Christ, and some excellent questions from you lot as well, actually. So there's a lot to get through. Um, but before all that, we have a new issue out, ladies and gentlemen. Five Finger Death Punch, as you have never seen them before. We have a world-exclusive new interview with one of the, uh, I think it's fair to say, one of the most combustible bands in modern metal, to say the very least. Yeah. Um, they've been through a hell of a lot over the last few years, and they are in a very interesting space. They talk to us all about that exclusively in the new issue, uh, featuring an absolutely unbelievable cover shoot from Travis Shin, like one of the best we've done recently, I think. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, and as I say, you might think you know Five Finger Death Punch, but you might have your opinion slightly changed when you read this cover feature. It's a fascinating read indeed. Uh, beyond that, the new issue comes with free Five Finger Death Punch, everything basically. Five Finger Death Punch beer mats, uh, a sticker set, big old double-sided poster. Um, and yeah, it just looks the absolute bollocks. And they are an absolutely fascinating band, in my opinion. Thoughts, so? Al? Yeah, really fascinating. I think obviously people just go, well, it's split, isn't it? Some people are really into Five Finger Death Punch and just celebrate it as good modern metal. And some people are like, oh, it's boneheaded crap. Yeah, it's divisive and to say the least. <laughs> it is, yeah. But, you know, if you think it's boneheaded crap, then keep reading. And also, firstly, there's nothing wrong with boneheaded crap. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best songs ever written have been boneheaded crap, and that's fine. Um but also, yeah, there is a lot more to the band than people, I think, get credit. Um, I think Zoltan Bathory is an extremely intelligent man. I think he's a very interesting man. Um, and, uh, yeah, some of the shit they've been through over the last few years is absolutely mad. And I don't, I don't, I really don't think people realise how big they are either. No. I was talking about, we put the post, we put the um, new issue cover online earlier. And, um, you know, there are some people making comments on the ever-wonderful Metal Hammer Facebook page. Which is always full of love and uh, mutual respect. Um, <laughs> where people were kind of debating whether Five Finger Death Punch were really a big band and they deserve covers and they deserve the thing. And it, and it amazed me to see that because if you look at the sheer numbers of the tickets they sell, the albums they sell, like just the streaming numbers that they do, they are legitimately one of the biggest bands in metal. Arguably the biggest metal bands who have properly broken in the last 10 years or so. I mean, I can't even think who'd be close to them, to be honest. In terms of the last 10 years, not Yeah, no, in terms of the last 10 years, like the way they've come out and just released album after album after album in quick succession and gone straight up to arenas. Uh, it's really hard to think of somebody else who's doing that on that level. Yeah, it's they are just, they are absolutely legit. And they're doing more arena shows across Europe uh, very, very soon, supported by Megadeth. That is going to be an unbelievable tour. Um, and anyway, if you're not into Five Finger Death Punch, I am, but if you're not, there's loads of other cool stuff in the new issue. Uh, we go back in time with Slayer to look inside their first ever UK tour from our veteran and legendary writer Dave Ling, who was there with the band on the road. It's a fascinating story. Um, we find out why the man to my right 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> decided to sit down with none other than Tobias Forge of Ghost to talk about their strange journey inside 1969. It's a great read. Uh, as is your piece with the mighty Shamash. Do you want to quickly talk about that? Yeah. So Shamash, uh, a Swiss band, they've been going for, uh, uh, I guess, about kind of 10, 10 years or so now. Uh, growing, anyone who uh, hears their album, just you, you kind of get lost in it. They kind of in a post-black metal, but more of a kind of a post-metal neurosis vein. Um, and they look sick as fuck. They look amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just kind of cows and face paint. And um, yeah. And so all their songs have been a kind of personal journey. So, and each album's got more and more ambitious, like from single albums to double albums, to the triple album triangle. And that was such a huge undertaking. So what are they going to do next? And what, but not just what they're going to do next as far as like musically, but where's he going to go personally next? And, so he did one sit down. He was only going to do one sit down interview. So I went to Basel, to his hometown, uh, to, to chat to the singer CSR in person. And what what he told me was not what I was expecting at all. It, you know, the um, the last album Triangle was supposed to be like a, for him a very positive experience. Um, and when it came to doing the follow up, he had to like question everything about him. Mm. And so yeah, we spoke about how when your world breaks down, how do you build it back up again? And he talks with such honesty and it was such, yeah, just, just such an amazing talk and I hope I did. Um, and he was so honest and I hope I did it some amount of justice. Well, I've read it and I can confirm that you definitely did. Um, yeah, it's a great feature. Um, so yeah, two fucking banging, uh, my language isn't very sophisticated today, so I do apologise. Two splendiferous features from Jonathan in this issue. Yeah, brought up the yeah. word boneheaded, so sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, you put it in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tobias was fun to talk to as well. He's 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 very interesting. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, and those we, two we new talked, ghost songs. We talked a lot about the whole vibe of the sixties yeah, and exactly. um and what ghosts took from it. Uh, yeah, so there's that in there. Um, there's brand new features with the uh, featuring the likes of Sepultura, Monomar, the Agnostic Front, Alter Bridge. Um, we run through the biggest moments of the decade, if you can believe it. The I don't know what you call it. The teenies, the tens. Should we go with the tens? The yeah. 2010s are coming to an end. So we've looked through uh, the biggest and most impactful uh, moments from the decade that affected us right here in the metal scene. Um, the highs, the lows, everything in between. It's a really interesting read inside uh, all the stuff that's happened over the last 10 years featuring some really cool new interviews, including some quite surprising faces that you might not expect to always see in Metal Hammer. So that's really interesting. Uh, so yeah, that's out right now. And yes, there will be a bundle to follow if you are uh, wondering about that, but that will be for uh, to be announced next week, I think. But in the meantime, the new issue with um, Metal Hammer featuring Five Finger Death Punch and all that other awesome stuff is on sale uh, tomorrow slash today, depending on when you're listening to it. On sale Thursday in the UK. Go to tinyurl.com forward slash buy hammer to get it online or tinyurl.com forward slash find hammer to find your nearest shop. I think I've covered it. We good? I think we're good. We're good. Move on. Let's talk about what we've been doing this week. <laughs> Shit loads of stuff. You two, you've been gigging all over the place. It's uh, true. Who wants to start where? I went to see Threaten at the Underworld. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how many people turned up? Yeah, so first question, how many people turned up? Definitely. Not a lot. Yeah? It was like I'm the shocked. support bands, some people that knew the support bands, and a handful of curious people. Okay. And Shall I talk you through what happened? Yeah, go it for it. It was a very strange setup. I will refrain from being sarky for the next minute and a bit. I'll just tell you what happened, then we can discuss it. Right. So I arrived at the Underworld, 
not particularly packed, wondering what was going to happen. Um, they had a black sheet across the stage, so you couldn't see anyone setting up, so you didn't know what was going on. And then when the gig started, they had this kind of intro tape, which was a series of sound bites from people, presumably in the media, talking about Threaten and what they'd been up to. And I think some of them he'd also kind of made up like sound bites of people talking about Threaten. And then it kind of had like, um, it sort of turned into music towards the end. So it was like this sort of dramatic kind of Threaten of blah, 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 blah. You know, the kind of voiceover style, I mean, like all these sound bites. And then the curtain came down and then there were dummies on stage playing guitars, wearing t-shirts that said fake band. So the music came over the PA, but instead of the band playing, it was these dummies just on the stage, kind of like low rent crash test type dummies with t-shirts okay. on. And then the band came on. So the three session musicians he's got um, and he came on. And they started singing and playing for real. But sometimes Jared wouldn't actually sing. He would just mime and like, or it looked like the sound had cut out and he was like singing really hard into the microphone, but nothing was coming out. But he was like obviously doing it on purpose. The sound was there. So he'd like sing a bit and then just stop singing and mime. So that was what? that. Yeah. Let me carry on. That was that. And then. Hold on. I just want to clarify. I'm confused. He So the his book. The voice was still ongoing, but he just stopped. No, so I should have clarified that. So they started playing... At first, the music was over the PA, so it was like a recorded song playing. But then after that, they started to play and he started to sing for real. But at certain points in the gig, he just didn't sing anything. He just pretended to sing. And then sometimes he would like start singing a line and then he'd like put the microphone to the dummy's mouth or he would just mime into the microphone and no sound would come out of his mouth. So he did that. Um, a few songs in, he went off stage. We're like, oh, what's going on? And he brought out a sex doll and it was wearing a T-shirt that said BBC News and he made the sex doll give him a blowjob. Um, the people in the band who were the session musicians were wearing T-shirts saying, I'm not real. And then at the end, they went. the band went off and Living is Dying, which is the song that everybody knows from this whole stunt. Everybody everybody knows was playing over the sound system and then jared came on and he brought out a gold frame like he has in his promo pictures and he put it around his face like to frame it and then he threw it on the floor and he started pulling down his banners and essentially trashing the stage except he didn't really trash it because there was a lot of expensive kit on it but he sort of tore down his banners and got on top of the drum kit and was like sort of going around the stage a bit and then he ripped the heads off the dummies and then offered them to people in the crowd but I think the person who picked one up was like the promoter of the underworld like she was right there at the front sort of singing along and that was that cool how's machine head <laughs> <laughs> well that, that all seems very all seems kind of very meta doesn't it <laughs> like what they're doing yeah, but and I don't know how I... I mean, that's all that... But that's all I actually feel from. speechless at that. I didn't think I would, yeah. but and then, I don't know what to say. Because there wasn't really an audience, Jared was performing to the camera crew. There were four guys who were a camera crew, and Jared said he's filming a documentary. And he was entirely performing to the camera. It's a bit like when you were a kid 
and you would pretend to make your own song and dance routines and like film them to be on TV and stuff. But obviously you wouldn't have any cameras because you had no money. But it kind of felt but like you were cameras. watching someone record a music video rather than be at a gig. <laughs> no, it was like, it was more like when you're a child and you perform for your friends or your parents and you like want to be a rock star. So you're pretending you're a rock star and you're pretending... Maybe this is just me. You're pretending you're on top of the pops and you're sort of dancing around. This is good because this is giving you insight into <laughs> Elle's childhood. Because <laughs> yeah. well, you're going into specifics well, now. As an, insult, as an insult to my childhood, uh, it sounds a lot like uh, bad news. Right. Yeah, yeah, where they pull back and there's one, there's two men and their dog yeah, yeah, watching. So it was one of the strangest gigs I've ever been to. And I'm really glad that I went. I paid £10 to go because I was curious. Melon's making a face because he's like, why would you do that? But it was well, really... Well, at least the underworld made some money out of it then. It was really entertaining. <laughs> yeah, he got my £10. And Fraser, our colleague and Classic Rock, he also paid £10. And um, it was just slide, a really good. interesting experience because you genuinely didn't know what he was going to do. And then it was kind of crap. But then you were like, it's, it, you know, it's interesting crap. I find it quite fascinating, the whole kind of smoke and mirrors and... What he has and hasn't done and stuff. I guess like we got, could like hasn't got any fans for a start. I guess this is probably the end of the threatened experiment on a kind of wide reaching. Uh, well, he said it's scale. not the end. Well, I'm sure he said that. Yeah, he said <laughs> it's not the end of his threatened experiment, and he's planted other band names around venues, and something's going to happen. But it's just kind of his ambition is that this will blow up online. But obviously people aren't going, you know, and people aren't going to the shows and he's saying, you know, my intention is for it to go viral online. So we'll have to see whether it does or whether no one cares. We'll find out. Maybe, maybe he could still have the last laugh. Who knows? And uh, yeah, there's this documentary that's going to come out at some point. You know, you look at stuff like Fire Festival and Anvil and those documentaries actually do have the potential to generate quite a lot of noise. Yes, fair point. Fair point. So yeah, it could it could do. It could be legs in the shit. Maybe we haven't heard the last of Threaten after all. We will see. I'm sure Elle will be first on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a Friday back. night. Well spent. So that's about Saturday night. Saturday night was amazing. If Friday night was the strangest gig I've been to in a while and odd and not really a gig, but more of just a weird thing, Saturday night was a proper, proper, proper gig. It was Machine Heads. Uh, playing Burn My Eyes in full to celebrate the 25th anniversary oh, yeah. at Brixton. So, obviously, a year ago, Dave McLean and Phil Demmel left Machine Head. And I remember being with Merlin, we were watching Hailstorm, I think it was at Brixton, and I was, like, mm. getting really upset. I was like, I'm really sad, I don't want Machine Head to break up. And it transpired they weren't breaking up. And they still had the core of Rob Flynn and Jared McKechn. I think that's how you say his name, not sure. Jared McKechn, the bassist. Uh, they were still in the bands. And then over the coming months, they revealed they'd be doing the Burn My Eyes thing together with Logan Maida and Chris Contos, the original um, drummer and guitarist who works on that record. And they've also now got a touring lineup, which they've said is full-time. So maybe not a touring lineup. They've said a new sort of full-time machine head lineup, which features Vogue on guitar and Matt Alston on drums. So they've got these... Vogue from Decapitated? Yes. Oh. So they've got these two lineups that are doing the tour. They start with a greatest hit set with the new full-time lineup and then they finish with the Burn My Eyes set with the reunited musicians. So they'll be doing an evening with Machine Head shows, obviously, and this was another evening with Machine Head. So 
it was a pretty big deal and I heard they were going to play for over three hours. As we got there, um, the Greatest Hits set was first and they opened with Imperium and it was just insane. Like, shit was going off. You know, there Genuinely was a one of the greatest opening like set so songs ever, ever, amazing. ever, 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 ever. It was literally one of those moments where you're just kind of sort of taken aback almost by just how blistering it is and how fantastic it sounds. And there was, it was obviously a Saturday night, so there were a huge 90s diehard contingent out, you know, people that maybe don't go to gigs all the time, but will come out for a motherfucking machine head gig and love it. And it was, yeah, it was great. Like everybody was just super, super hyped. And it was a proper greatest hit sets as well. They had stuff from the Burning Red, <coughs> excuse me, right up until the present day and um there was just a really good chemistry between the band members actually uh vogs obviously from decapitated and it is a lot more technical and he played like a technical player you know you could see him kind of really into it and super super fast he's obviously super fast whereas rob flynn is quite loose with his playing um and there's quite a good chemistry between them they're kind of like soloing together and all the rest of it and uh well rob flynn was just the hype the hypiest hype man in the world. He was just like a super, 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 super hype man. And he kept yelling things out, um, like, make some noise. <laughs> and like, I want to see your circle pits, motherfuckers. He said motherfuckers about a thousand times. Yeah. And he was just, I've never seen him that hypey before. He's usually quite hypey. And at points it was a bit like, okay, we get the idea. That's a bit too much hype. But at the same time, it was actually working. It was just making people like go crazy and it was just making them like really, really, really excited. So that was really cool to see. And at the end of the day, it is his band as we've sort of seen from all this drama and he's the one who yeah, has totally. to actually get people involved. So then they had a little break, came back and did Burn My Eyes. And it's kind of funny because obviously Rob's hinted that he might not play Davidian again because of controversy around America and gun laws and all that. <laughs> and Davidian came on him and it was amazing. And then Rob went, bang, bang, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> bang, bang, motherfucker, everybody up. And it was like, yeah, this is Rob Flynn. And everyone was smiling at each other and just having a really great time. And Chris and Logan were just totally into it. And you just really felt like happy for them that they're all reunited and stuff. And then they had a little hiccup. Uh, they were in the middle of Death Church and the power cut out. So the band didn't know it was happening and they kept on playing and everyone in the crowd was like frantically waving their arms like to indicate that this has happened. Oh, wow. And they, they eventually cottoned on. It turned out that somebody had dropped a beer on the sound desk. Um, Such a classic sloppy <sighs> drunk bellend manoeuvre. I know. I would like to assume it was an accident, hopefully, but... He goes, he goes, such a, uh, wah, wah, wah. Rob was like, one of your gigantic, enormous beers on the soundboard. And he goes, the soundboard doesn't like to drink beers. <laughs> <laughs> you can drink your beers because we want you to. Fair point well made. And then he was like, if we see the person that dropped the beer or like drops the beer, he's like, make sure that sh their teeth go through the back of their goddamn neck. And it was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was a bit so extreme. I'm, I'm trying to think of the logistics of this, because especially in big venues, because like, it happened with Gajira as well and all their all their lighting that they, you know, meticulously set up. So because a big venues like like those, like the sound desk pretty, you know, it's quite big. You have you, you're not, you can't get near it from the audience. So was it someone actually 
work in the sound desk? Do they bring a friend in? How does how does this actually? I mean, they didn't give any work? details, but seeing as it happened with Gajiri, I assume that it's probably somebody from the outside doing it in some way. But I really don't know. I've not gone and sort of like looked around the sound desk, but. I feel like maybe they need to take some precautions to stop it from happening again. Mm. And Rob Flynn had, had commented on how big the beers are because they're the two pinters as well. So it was like... Those two pinters. I was talking to someone about them <laughs> the other day, actually. I don't um, know if it was Someone one from Machine Head's but... team, actually. And they, they were saying how, like, the thing about those two pint beers is, like, the idea is that, you know, people drink them... If they take longer to drink and therefore there's less trips to the bars. But what actually happens is you have a bigger beer in your hand and you're just as excited and you just drink it just as quickly and then you just get more <laughs> fucked up than you would have anyway. Allegedly, so I hear. I think that's definitely what happens with the big beers. How long was the power out then? 20 minutes. Okay. That's quite, a, yeah, it's quite a long time to get the momentum back, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so they posted about it on their Facebook page. They said... Um, our awesome crew and specifically our badass sound man, Steve Lagudi, scrambled to reroute everything over to our monitor board. <coughs> and as you know, after a 20 minute break, we were able to finish the show. So yeah, it was just, um, it was pretty mad. Everyone was kind of tense because they got halfway through the record and it was creeping up. You know, the time was creeping up. It was creeping up towards 11. It was like, are they going to actually finish the record before the show ends? So then they got everything sorted out and they did finish it. And it was like, you know, getting on for half 11 20 past wow. half 11 by the time it kind of actually finished so curfews aren't metal anyway <laughs> who cares yeah so, um, but it said the venue let them go over the curfew and the security staff volunteered their time to finish the show which is pretty nice really that's one of those really oh, nice shout out. That's awesome. things you hear about the community kind of coming together and robert talked on stage about how they'd played that venue for played london their first time in london was at brixton in 94 supporting slayer the same year as burn my eyes so it was a kind of homecoming for them and i think um you know they they said they're really humbled about the fact that the venue helped them out with finishing the show so it was a great night everybody was behind them and um you know despite the drama machine had have had those songs were incredible rob's fantastic frontman jared i think has proved his worth over the last few years and it's cool to see some of those previous guys back in the lineup for that set as well awesome sounds like a wonderful with slightly uh, interrupted time it was <laughs> that's exactly what it was uh bang, jonathan bang, motherfucker. you went yeah. to uh damnation festival up I, in leeds i did one of the premier still uh, underground in festivals in the uk that, actually you're still recovering yeah well just because i've been to gigs every night since as well too so oh my um, goodness but let's just let's just stick to Damnation. actually they damnation had um sound issues too uh really yeah mayhem's sound kept cutting out for the first half of the set and they didn't realize at first and and so lo loads of people were leaving uh, but it, it did actually kind of sort itself out eventually. But just they were like suddenly what, and they had to stop and then start again. And especially, you know, especially you know, if you're one of the biggest black metal bands in the world, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't know if the mics just picked that up. <laughs> what was that? Some weird nothing I ate. Mad rumbling <laughs> just echoed through the it's future offices. Like I don't know if the mics picked that up or not. An evil satanic demon under the yeah, floor. Yeah, you just summoned something <laughs> and Jonathan oh, talking oh, about mayhem. Yeah, if only that had happened while I was talking about watching Sun. It sounded like the sound effect from see. Evil Dead. Do yeah. you know what I mean? When it's when it, when, it, when it's like going through the trees and it's like oh. That, yeah, that should have happened when I was watching Sun. We're well, talking about watching Sun. Oh but, my um, word. That's another story. So yeah, mayhem, bit yeah. bit fucked, but yeah. But uh, when 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 they got together, especially because towards the end of the set, they play a lot of the Death Crush and the Demisteria stuff, and people just go absolutely mental. They did that on Monday night too, 
and I was just down the front for that and just losing my shit. It's just awesome. the power in that is amazing. Um, yeah, so they, they yeah they, they had an interesting headliner. I mean, it's a big headliner. They always do. Uh, Opeth, and which seemed a, kind of a strange band to be headlining just because of where they are at now. I mean, as it turned out, they um, they did play stuff from all across their career. So they played stuff from Blackwater Park and they played uh, stuff from Deliverance and Ghost Reveries. Um, and then, you know, there's quite a few, you know, post-death metal albums they played songs from. They, they only did two from In Cauda Venom. Um, but it's still a very sort of like chilled atmosphere to headline a festival. Um, so people were into it. Um, it, it just didn't get, it just didn't quite reach the kind of level of ecstaticness that you, you normally get with headliners. I'm okay with that. I, I love Opeth. I remember I used to always watch them support um, Arch Enemy or headline over Arch Enemy. And Arch Enemy, they were on such a low... I remember that gig. That was a Defenders of the Faith gig, wasn't it? They, they've done... The Melhammer gig. They played together a few times, actually. Oh, okay. And um, so people, all, you know, Arch Enemy, there's probably less nuance to them. But pe- but they're on su- they're on such a lot adrenaline high, so people would would see Opeth and think they're boring. It's like no, you have to like lower your metabolism and you notice all these details in the music, and you can get lost in it. Um, and you do. It's very you know a lot of this music's very warm. It's, it's it's kind of proggy and jazzy. You know some of the latest stuff. Um, and you know people were into it, but just it just didn't have the feeling of a quite a headline set. Did he have um, any production? No, you, you can't really get a lot of production on the... Um, so they didn't have any of their video screens that they had at the Palladium. Nothing like that. Just decent lighting. It's just... it just The the, the main venue doesn't lend itself to any of that. Um, it's just a big square big square room, really. Like a very long square room. So my only, fi- my, my only, my only downside of, of venues like that is that, especially when you've got band with this kind of like an analogue sound, it doesn't really come off always well in that venue. Okay. Uh, I remember a few years back, Electric Wizard played, and it's like, why am I not getting anything out of this? And I, I, I went all around the main hall trying to find a sweet spot, and there just wasn't one because it just you know those kind of really boxy venues don't suit bands with a kind of like more analog sound. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I saw McGuire in the main hall. McGuire, the Polish death, Polish black metal band, nice. um, probably We've one had of the most. Have on the CD before, FYI. Ooh. Yeah, uh, last album was my album of the year. On the, f- on the free metal armor CD we sometimes do with the magazine, they're always referring to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The last album, it, well, every album they do is always my album of the year. It's just they have something that they they just this kind of otherness to them and a level of conviction that just takes it above and beyond anything. So they're, they're probably one of the most respected uh, black metal bands in the scene, and they packed out the main hall pretty much more than any other band. The wow. entire weekend. That's awesome. Even Primordial, who were like their classic rabble rousing selves. Um, who else were good? Yeah, Girls, Girls Verd were amazing. Um, now they've got the new album. It's a very different kind of dynamic to their previous sets, but um, there's a lot more drama going on. Um, I'll tell you what was kind of a surprise. There's a lot of people wa- watching Vintage Caravan. Really? Yeah, that is a band I thought they would have stuck out on there. Kind of fuzzy '60s styled. It's kind rock, of very blues, it? blues rock. So the Icelandic three piece. Um, if you're Icelandic, you get probably get snowed in all the times. So you've got nothing you can do but practice. My <laughs> God, and so but so my God, like there's a three piece, but the level of musicianship from this, the main guy Oscar, but all of them, the, the the bassist and the drummer, is just absolutely ridiculous. It's just one of the greatest guitarists I've ever seen, um, and it's so it just so natural. 
And a lot of people are just like, this is exactly the vibe I need right now. Like, in the same way that maybe Opeth might have given you a nice kind of come down after a long day. This is just, you just need a breather. Um, and, and yeah, they, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was actually packed, which is really surprising. It was on the sort of the third out of four halls, but it still holds about six to 700 people. Oh, wow. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, any other noticeable highlights? Uh, apart, apart from Maguire, um, Mork were incredible, another Norwegian uh, black metal band. Interarmor, just filthy, sludgy. Um, uh, voices were, were, were great in the smaller venue. Strangely, um, had loads of Rick James posters stuck up on the. Um, Why not? Yeah, yeah, they're James just. Bit. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, kind of slightly, they're kind of black metal with a kind of slightly progressive element to them, and there's something really dramatic about their music. Um, so they'll, 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 you know, ex Hacker Cooker members or, um, yeah, and some current, again, Hacker Cooker members. So, yeah, when Hacker Cooker split up, th these people, they did a voice and it became a bit more um, experimental, uh, but that was always good. Cool. Yeah, just, yeah, just lots of really, uh, Joe Crowell, uh, another bad person you think would stick out, but uh, went down really well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, a cellist, she plays with everyone from, like, uh, you know, she plays with Mirka to, to Eamon Ra, Anna von Housewolf, uh, played with Emma Ruth Rundle recently. So she, like everyone who's kind of on the left side of the dial wants her to, wants her to support. Highland, she supported Highland the last when they played at the oh, wow. Assembly Hall. Yeah, that's definitely a good company to be in, isn't and it? And yeah, and you can tell a lot of people are hearing her for the first time and it's such a mesmerising, organic way the music develops and yeah, everyone just goes crazy at the end. I didn't get to see Allcest. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I love that new album. Yeah, I, I used to, it always used to be an art project for me about how much I can hate them, especially around Kadama because I just thought it's so wet. Um, and I remember the original shoegaze bands, like, and they were darker than this, but um, just because, yeah, so many of us were, were covering different bands, so I couldn't, yeah, I just can't see everything. But I um, mean, we'll get a, an even bigger and a more all encompassing review in a future issue of Metal Hammer. Yes, yes, yeah, all three of us pulling our forces, <laughs> or, or what was left of them. Like a, After, yeah. a megazord of, of awesomeness. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. A megazord? Do you ever watch Power Rangers? No, I mean, you know, I they, they all had their there. dinosaurs, their kind of dinosaur robots, and then they'd all come together to form a megazord, like big robots. I robot did not know end. that, no. Wow, pop culture references lost in here today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't go to any gigs, so there you go. Had a great week anyway, though. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> let's see what else uh, is going on in the world of metal this week. Um, God, it's been a huge week for news right across the board. Um, first off, uh, legendary Merciful Fate and King Diamond bassist uh, Timmy Hansen has died aged 61 after battling cancer. Um, King Diamond confirmed the news in an Instagram post and there was a, a long and very emotional post paying tribute from Lars Ulrich as well. Um, if you're for some reason not familiar with Merciful Fate and King Diamond's music, uh, for goodness sake, go and pick up like Abigail or something. Just some of the most seminal and important um, heavy metal yeah, if, ever written if they didn't exist the, uh, the world of metal would be very different yeah but markedly different uh, yes. um, Metallica of course last paid tribute Metallica were huge fans and Metallica famously did a Merciful Fate medley on Garage which is actually how I first got into the band so mm. they, their influence really does spread right into metal's uh, upper upper levels the vocals are divisive but if you get them uh, then you're just in that in that world. Absolutely. But the first Ghost album was so indebted to Merciful Fate. Yeah, definitely. If you like Ghost early stuff and you haven't checked out Merciful Fate, get all over Merciful Fate for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, you can read our uh, obituary to Timmy on the Mount Hammer site now. Um, 
Big week for reunions. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, kind of like uh, some real battle lines have been drawn in terms of uh, which reunion people are more excited about. It's definitely kind of like 90s metalheads versus noughties emos <laughs> in terms of uh, the big news this week. Um, we should probably do My Chemical Romance first. Um, not a band we do a lot in Metal Hammer these days. Elle's screwing her face. She doesn't, she's not, she's not into it. Um, <laughs> but not yeah, Michael Michael Romance are back. Um, one of the biggest emo bands slash kind of gothy punk bands slash whatever they became on the days, Danger Days uh, cycle. Um, they have a reunion show in LA on December 20th, which sold out in about three seconds or something. Um, and interesting, they've, interestingly, they've also announced shows in Australia, New Zealand and Japan, including some download shows. So um, interesting that we can assume they're probably not doing Download in the UK because Download has its headliners announced. Probably a safe bet for Reading and Leeds, would you say? I don't know. They could do something bigger, surely, in the UK. Why don't they just do their own show? Glastonbury. I don't know if they could do something bigger than Reading and Leeds, could they? Would they, would they, be, would they be a fit for Glastonbury? No. What about a Milton Keynes... <laughs> <laughs> what about to be blunt. A Milton Keynes Bowl scenario? I don't... Oh, I don't know. That's hard, isn't it? They've been away for a while. Are they? So yeah, you're saying they could be really a stadium-sized band now? Milton Keynes Bowl is slightly less, isn't it, than a stadium? I've never been, you know. I'm Let me Google sure. what the capacity is. I they, think it's I mean, sort of like an in-betweeny phase. Is it? That's interesting. Yeah, just they could do something it, like that. Just throwing it out there. Maybe they could do their own thing in the UK. We have no intel on Mike M, as I say. We don't really do Michael Romance anymore, though Metal Hammer was one of the very first magazines to go big on them back in the day. We did put them on the cover... Um, in their in their heyday a few times um this is much higher than i thought Sixty-five thousand. i'm sure it wasn't that big that's yeah that's a lot of people it's too big but they are they are (laughs) an absolutely monumentally big band and it is a big deal so it will be interesting to see what they do in the uk curious to read his comics actually because he does doom patrol now which used to be one when grant morrison was doing was one of my favorite all-time comics does he yeah yeah there's kind of a dc um sort of offshoot label i think young company's called uh, but yeah it's basically for dc but when grant morrison doing it it was one of the strangest most surreal co- uh, superhero comics but also really moving even though he ripped uh, even though he he always used to rip off like two of my favorite uh, uh, authors for it uh, a guy called paul Oster, who uh, uh yeah just you could you could guess the plots because you read paul Oster's books but um yeah but he does doom patrol now so i wonder how wow. that's going to fit in with um you know toying with um Mike, Mike M. Yeah, and well, maybe even take some influence on where they might fit conceptually. Um, yeah. Whether this will just be a victory lap or if there'll be a new album, we don't really know. Uh, Gerard also, of course, doing Umbrella Academy in the time it's off, which has Netflix. been, yeah, it's been huge. Um, so I was actually quite surprised. I think, it, you know, everyone knew Michael Cormorans would get back at some point because everybody gets back together at some point. But Gerard has literally just had all this success with Umbrella Academy. So I was quite surprised that it's happening now, like, just as it seems like Gerard had got his foot into a whole nother arena but um you know we'll see what happens with that in i think it's fair to say more exciting news <laughs> for us anyway ah! rage against the machine are back that's what we're talking about uh, they've announced i think it's five dates um across the state and i believe mexico as well might have to double check that quickly very 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 um, very yeah, cool a handful of dates have been announced and all that remains to be seen is will we get uk dates please say we'll get uk dates i want uk dates Give me UK dates. I want to go. Yeah, they're doing El Paso, Texas, uh, playing New Mexico, Arizona, and two dates in California. I think people are speculating that could be Coachella. I haven't double-checked the Coachella dates, but they're doing two dates on top of each other in California anyway. Um, So, yeah, massive news. What a fucking band. One of the single greatest bands of all time. 
Will we actually finally get a new Rage Against the Machine album, though? Or is it just going to be another victory lap of, of just doing the rounds and then Zach will go away again? <laughs> well, seeing as they've been writing loads of stuff with Prophets of Rage... It's well, the rest of the band was never the problem, was that's it? That's what I mean. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that they would have more things they wanted to do and explore. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's just whether Zach would get on board with doing but, it. I mean, if you look at it, like the rest of Rage as a unit has on and off always stayed together. They did Audio Slave and then mm, they yeah, kind of come and did another tour with Zach and then all did their own little bits. You know, Tom had Night Watchmen and some other stuff going on. Then they did Prophets of Rage, who were fucking great, by the way. And it's a bit of a shame that that's kind of just now petered out. But I mean, it's not like they're going to be short of stuff to write about. No, I was wondering actually if the comeback is kind of tied into the current political climate in the US and the fact that the presidential elections are going to be next year. Very good point. So I wonder um, how much how much of what they're doing now is t- is tied into that. And um, I mean, it's not like there isn't an album's worth of material to write about currently. I'd love to see them do something massive again, like when they closed down the stock exchange. Do you remember? And yeah, yeah, that was cool. See, like them do something really powerful because they are one of those bands where you feel like they can actually have an impact on what people think and feel. With Prophets of Rage, it kind of didn't feel like it had that impact so much, politically speaking. I think the music's great, mm. but I'm not sure people will massively... Yeah, it felt kind of almost... I know they did the do message. new music, know. but it felt almost like celebratory of the music that had come before, really. Yeah, um, and and suited all the people doing it. And yeah, I just really enjoyed the new, the Prophets of Rage stuff. It just didn't feel like... I know the world has changed, but it didn't feel like people were talking about it in a particularly political way it was more of just a yeah these are cool songs I mean Tom has never stopped um, I don't know how else to put it literally raging against the machine yeah (laughs) like he is always on the forefront of a good fight and he's always you know standing up for injustice and and he's not afraid to to put himself on that platform which is you know really important of course Um, but yeah we'll have to see what Zach does I mean the, the last significant thing I remember Zach doing was the track with Run the Jewels and that was a fucking awesome song so if he can bring some of that fire into some new Rage Against Machine music. God, I would love to hear it. I can't think of many bands I'd like to see back on it with a new album than Rage. Yeah, because there's some bands that come back and then just tell they haven't had the commitment in, in them, like uh, when they played live at the drive-in, for instance. Yeah, so, sure. But especially for Rage Against the Machine, if he's not, if Zach's not that fully committed, it's, it could be awful. Yeah, I mean, I saw them at Reading when they uh, reunited the first time around um, and I thought it was really good, but I remember thinking it didn't feel... Massive, and because of that, I didn't bother going to the Finsbury Park gig. The oh, one afterwards. Out I know I did because I've got the DVD <laughs> and it looks unbefucking amazing. I, I, saw, I, I saw regretted them. it as soon as it happened. But I saw them back in the day and it was incredible. I just oh, I can't at imagine. that time, like, I needed that band, they were like my antidote to grunge. Like, I, it, it, not because I, di- I just like grunge music, I just felt the whole kind of self pity. I was just trying to, to, to wear on me. I just needed something genuinely angry. and That's how I feel about my chemical romance. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah. And um, <laughs> so just, I just needed Fuck You, I Do What You Tell Me just because it was just genuinely angry. and Such a good band. And yeah, less in your own head and just actually taking on the world. And I really needed that after mm-hmm. like the grunge years. Fair, very fair. Yeah, very exciting to see their back. Um, we will be monitoring that situation very, very closely. Indeed, I can promise you that. Um, also back after a year out, which is slightly different, <laughs> is uh, Creeper. Uh, they've got a new song called Born Cold out now. They did a comeback gig in London the other day that 
went down to rave reviews. Um, if you are an old school My Chemical Romance fan, actually, you could probably do a lot worse than checking out that new Creeper song if you're desperate for something in that vein. Oh. Not a fan, but I like the way they build up the whole kind of conceptual thing around them. Yeah, they're very cool like with that uh, stringing that together. And, uh, and yeah. I heard that, Merlin. What? The same vein. I thought you said it because it sounded goth. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. But yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Halloween's forever. They wear white now as well instead of black. They do. That's a thing. They do indeed. Uh, L, why don't you tell us about something <laughs> that's happened? <laughs> well, I'm obviously going to get you to talk about this. Linderman have released a new video. What the fuck's going on? Oh my gosh. I mean, how do we, where do we even start with this? Let's start so, with the name. Okay. So the track is called Nabel, which apparently the internet tells us translates to gag. So, uh, you Good. know, this could indicate many different things. But you watch the video. <coughs> go, You can watch this online. It was taken off um, when it was originally put up, but it's on Reddit. You can see it there. And Till and Peter Tatgren, his musical companion in Lindemann, are inside a sort of falling down building that's been flooded. And they're standing, like, knee-deep in water, in weird blue suits covered in blood. And then what happens is they have a lady who's naked in a chain and they're like leading the lady around. And <laughs> She's carrying something, isn't she? Like, uh, like a jar with something in it's like, it. It's almost like a snow globe type yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 you're right. It's more like a, it's it's more like like a domed. It's more like a snow globe. Yeah. Um, she's got that with her as she makes her way through the water being led by Peter and Till. And uh, basically what happens is Till ends up going down on her and she's on her period. And so it's really, really bloody and Till's got blood all around his mouth. But I was also wondering, I was, it's difficult to tell because in the first time it's shown, she looks like she's really enjoying herself. And she's like, yeah, this is cool. And then the second time she looks like she's maybe in more pain. And I was like, is she just bleeding from her vagina in a normal way, or has he bitten her? I can't well, tell. Well, I think that the, the the cutaway to that scene is really important. So it goes, so he's underwater and he's chained, and there's um, on like a concrete block. So he's kind of way down. He's kind of waking up, and an eel comes past. Yeah. And he grabs the eel and bites the head off the eel. Yeah. And so all this blood comes out. Yeah. And then it goes straight to him going down on a menstruating woman. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of parallels between those two scenes. In um, I think of vaginas when I see an eel. But I, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell whether because she's <laughs> yeah she's bleeding there. Really. Yeah. So there's a lot of blood as well. But yeah, I can't really tell because he's chained underwater at one point where she was chained before. So I'm like, has she chained him up and taken her revenge? And him biting a head off the eel is symbolic of him being effectively castrated because he's no longer sexually involved with her. Or is that reading too much into it? I think there's certainly like it, like there's a there's a blood reference to you know going from the ill to going down on a menstruating woman. Uh, there's, there's certainly that. Yeah, I mean that, that's a so visual tie for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, also um, you know, sort of sea, you know, seafood and kind of lingers. Oh, Jonathan! No, no. There's a famous there's a famous essay uh, by Jermaine Greer called "Lady Love Your Cunt," and it talks about. Um, <laughs> Talk talks about yeah the links. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, there you go. So you've been it, reading feminist it, literature. It's a fa it's a very fa it's a famous feminist essay. Well, I did not know that. Yeah. I'm not enough of a feminist, clearly. <laughs> 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 but 
But yeah, I mean, um, it's a sort of very like beautifully shot video. Mm. Um, but it's quite violent when he... I didn't like the bit where he bit the head off the eel because yeah. I like sea creatures and it made me sad. Yeah. But it's, it's funny how it goes in this kind of almost like neo-folky plod to just suddenly going absolutely That's mental. That's the best bit, actually. The track's amazing. Like, it has this bit where it's it's a bit like Pupper on the Ramstein album. Mm. It's like where it's just kind of very gentle and you think, oh, the song will be like this all the way mm. through and then the guitars come in and you're like, oh, some shit's going down. Yeah. And then that's when it but, all starts but, kicking off. But, but the way it looks at the beginning with the, with the sort of like the teal or the sky blue suit and the hair, drag, you know, lank hair, like waterlogged hair, how good would he have been as the Joker? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, was my, that was my thing when I first saw him in the video, when I saw Till Lindemann in the video. But it's cool. It's weird you say that because I just got an email through that I'm going to talk about in a minute. There's another piece of news that just happened that has blown my mind. I'll but show I, Jonathan the picture. Right, I'll say this I don't know what I was going to say. I think I was just going to say oh, that wow. um, it's really hard to shock people because... Ramstein have done everything they can in the past that shocks people and you know um Till has obviously done something here to shock people and it's not just the fact that it's like a woman on her period slash being bitten it's the whole video is just mad and also love the fact that there are still bands out there and yes maybe you have to be a band of a certain level to get the kind of attention that we're giving this video now but there's still bands out there using video as a proper art form because when you do it in the right way it can still make a statement it can still spark debate it can still you know be a bit controversial like i think it's really cool that bands aren't afraid to express art and statement through visual medium <laughs> uh and the, the girl looks really cool when she's like swimming through the water she looks like an awesome mermaid which is very much in Elle's ballpark <laughs> um arc tangents have uh, announced a huge lineup for next year uh god look at this list of bands i'm so oh. excited can i just say how excited i am about arc tangent i was just sort of lulled into a uh, Till world there. I think <laughs> thinking about all the metaphorical possibilities of what is going on. Well, we're talking about things in Hell's ballpark. There's a lot of that right on this so tangent much. liner. Um, Opeth, Eamon Ra, Tesseract, Isan, uh, This Will Destroy You, Perturbator, Rolo Tomasi, Earth Tone Nine, Giraffes, Giraffes, Frontera, uh, Racket Cannon, Quail versus Kenny. I don't know what that is. Uh, Ghost, Scalping, Ohms, Falvard. Alpha Male Tea Party. That's a made-up name. Steak. <laughs> Curse These Metal Hands. Um, Boss Keloid. Body Hounds. Oh God, it's just, it keeps I going on and on. I thought you said Curse These Metal Hands. Curse These Metal Hands. That's what I thought as well before my brain <laughs> yeah. processed it. Who's Kirsty? Like, and what have you done with her hands? <laughs> Curse These Metal Hands. A new sitcom. Uh, no. Curse These Metal Hands. But yeah, what a lineup that is. That very, very I think that's the only Eamon Ross show next year as well too in, in the UK. Oh my goodness me. So yeah, very cool um, young festival uh, making movements in all the right places. Um, Jonathan, do you want to yeah. read the next news no, item off this page? I want to know what's up on your email. Oh, should we do that first then? Yeah, go on. Okay, I'm well I've just, got this, I've just got this email through. Lacuna Coil are teaming up with DC. So it's Batman's 80th anniversary this year. So there's loads of stuff going on, like new special edition comics, new series. Um, there's some new pop vinyls out there and stuff that I've been eyeing up. Um, Lacuna Coil are teaming up with DC Comics for Batman's 80th anniversary, apparently. Um, I'm just going to check that this isn't embargo because I just started reading it out of there. No, I've already fine. read this email while you were talking earlier. All right, good. I'm oh, glad you're paying attention, <laughs> Elle. Uh, so yeah, Lacuna Coil teamed up with Batman and they've actually done what looks like a Greg Capullo and, um, and uh, um, 
No, it's not a Capullo artwork. I don't know who that is. But anyway, uh, Lacuna Coil is doing a Batman thing and they've done an actual, what looks like an official issue of Batman that has Lacuna Coil on the cover featuring the Batman Who Laughs, which is one of the best new Batman villains of the last few years, by the way. Um, so yeah, Lacuna Coil are hanging out with Batman. That's pretty cool. Wow. Shout out them. Shout out them. Now, Jonathan. Yes. <laughs> <after> <laughs> that weird. <laughs> Sorry for that weird diversion. It's Batman related. I can't resist. Also, really interrupted. Parkway Drive have a new documentary coming. Woo! Uh, yeah. Viva the Underdogs. Um, it's going to get a um, an Australian sh- uh, showing debut on January twenty second. Yeah, it's actually going to be in Australian cinemas, which is going to be looking at their uh, their whole career and especially kind of over recent times. Rumors have it that it, some extremely cool metal editors may or may not be appearing <laughs> in this do, documentary do you mean as a well. Metal editor? <laughs> a metal editor. Possibly a metal hammer editor will be in it. Well I'm hoping I heard my voice in the trailer, so I hope that means I made it. Who knows? Uh I think that's all the news, finally. We did it. So much news. So much news. One of the biggest weeks of metal bloody ever. News ever, ever, ever. Bloody. Let's do some reader questions. Word. Some bloody reader questions <laughs> while we're in a bloody mood. Uh, facebook.com forward slash Metal Hammer readers to ask us the questions that will be read out and answered on this podcast. L. Rob Lake asks, in your opinion, who are the least metal band of all time and why? Thoughts? Well, Jonathan was wondering if this had to be a non-metal metal band. Yeah. <laughs> or just a band. Yeah, I picked just a band. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, of stuff that um, no metalhead would ever like, but every time I try and think of it like a, a, a genre, I think... You know, I bet someone likes that or I like that. Well, I'm so. thinking of bands that stand against everything that's great about metal. So they stand against individuality, heaviness, um, blazing your own trail, being interesting. Snow Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> A good answer. And my picks were all from the same shitty period of music yeah, as well. Just like that. Yeah, that was, that was the worst period of indie music ever. The worst just period of indie music ever. Middle class uh what white guys awful wet bollocks yes. just yeah. terrible awful bands stuff. i i picked the kooks for the same reason <laughs> just yeah. like t- anti-music anti like i think the thing that makes me most angry about that period is that it was bands that were acting like rock bands but that could have not been further away from rock and roll just mm. awful them and razor light oh, oh my the god chelsea dagger as well yes them the, the, uh, the fratellis is it oh, oh god no also, yeah just no menswear <laughs> I wonder if that was some '80s band I hadn't heard of. No, was, they were like they were like the great big hopes of the Britpop generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That lasted for about like three seconds because it didn't actually have any songs. It just had a decent Taylor, and yeah, just yeah, the whole Britpop era I hated with every five months. I don't mind the Britpop era, but the 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 bands that kind of came out Shed of the seven. era. Shed Seven, they're the least, me- they're one of the least metal bands ever. <laughs> yeah, fair shout. Any advances on our meandering though? My first thought was Aqua, but they're a lot more metal than all those bands you just I mentioned. Love, I love Aqua. I'm I don't sorry. think you can pick any Scandinavian bands. No, no, no. I was no. just going to pick I, a band. It literally I, I, came I to mind. I generally love Aqua. No, I know. <laughs> and it came to mind just because I was thinking, what's not metal? Barbies. But even Barbies can be metal too, because you get loads of different kind of Barbies now. There's, yeah, they're, they must they're be like, a metal Barbie. Like uh, brought feminism to Barbies. Exactly. I know. Yeah, they like cut their legs off and make their boobs smaller and stuff, and then cut their legs off. <laughs> <laughs> well and then made them have jobs. What were you doing to your Barbies? <laughs> okay, they made them go more in proportion think, with I the average I want, female body. I, th- I think <laughs> I once compared uh, the dynamic between the, the men and the female singer in Aqua to 
uh, Christina and Andrea in Laguna Coil. <laughs> <laughs> like the way Andrea would come in and it was that bit where the guy goes, hello, Bobby, let's go party. He's <laughs> like, why am I confused? I mean, if anyone ever thought there'd be a Venn diagram of Lacuna Coil, Batman and Aqua in one kind of <laughs> broadcast, I we never thought there. that would happen. We went there, man. Um, there is also... We put that trailer on our website a few months back of that um, Metal Barbie dream house. Do you remember? But it was like a black Metal Barbie dream house. I don't actually. It's called Black Metal Barbie. And it was this like advert and it was all about like Barbie dream home. Look at Black Metal Barbie. And Metal yeah, Barbie. I've seen that. I've seen funny. that, yeah. Interesting. And then obviously um, in this moment did a song called Sex Metal Barbie. So Barbies are more metal than I thought. Fair yeah. play. Shout out Barbies. <laughs> Other dolls are of course available. I hated Barbies when I was a kid. But if I had a doll, it's a doll. Or is yeah, it an it's, a, it's an action figure, I guess. It's a doll. <laughs> Technically an action figure, right? I mean... If it was like, had exactly the same joints, but it was, was a like man. a ninja turtle yeah. instead of a, a woman. Or just, or just Ken. Like a nicely dressed woman or whatever. Ken, like, Ken was probably an action figure. Yeah. Whereas Barbie was a doll. Barbie was just Sexist. a doll. Ken's a lad. <laughs> an action lad. So, so if, you, if, it, if you had Laura Croft in the same thing, would that be... Yeah, exactly. Good question. These are the questions we need answering. Existential questions. Yeah, exactly. Matt Heeks asks, asks, what in your opinion are the most important, not necessarily the best, but the most important songs of the 21st century? I guess we're thinking within heavy rock music here. Um, I don't know. It's such a broad but good question. Answer the question. Okay, I'm going to pick three. Uh... On the pure experiential level, like once you heard it, you'll never be the same again. To to Cesarul de Lumini by Nagura Banjo. Wow. Okay, go on. Why is that important? Um, so, so from an album called Om, I think it's like the greatest black metal album of the twenty first of the twenty first century. Certainly of the, I hate calling them the noughties, but the the, the first decade. Uh, so Romanian bands, um, just kind of very heavy on the mysticism, and it's just one of the most beautiful dynamic songs you've ever heard. I saw them play at the Purple Turtle um, and people were in in tears by the end of it, um, just seeing it live. It's just um, it's just one of those like heart-stopping songs. You, you just like, there's before and an after and it's like, it's about nine minutes long. It, it's um, yeah, so, just so atmospheric, one of the most beautiful riffs in the world. Um, yeah, so that's that. And that's on a pure experiential level. On, as far as like, Things change before and afterwards. These are kind of arbitrary, but I'm going to go for Genocidal Touch by Beast Milk. (gasps) Love that song. Yeah, everyone loves that song. But after that song... Isn't it Genocidal Crush? Genocidal Crush, yeah. Sorry, Genocidal Crush by by Beast Milk. Because after after that album came out, and that's kind of one of the centre points of the song, Like so this whole kind of post-punk thing that they were were reviving um, just became absolutely rife throughout the... uh, throughout the... uh, underground scene like everyone kind of started rediscovering the 80s and post-punk and goth and i'm not saying that they they were copying beast milk but there's something in the air and beast milk did it first and i hear so yeah, yeah it is absolutely everywhere now there's no doubt about it yeah uh, yeah yeah but I, I, lo- I love that sound um and i'm just going to go for say malfita uh from rotaine on um lord of darkness because it's not like people weren't copying rotaine after that but uh but because that's one of their like most, you know, loved albums, and uh, especially especially after Lord's Darkness came out, you started hearing that Watain atmosphere mm. and melodicism on so much stuff. Again, that's another band that completely changed 
the sort of DNA of the of the black metal scene. Wow, three excellent and deep cut answers. L, any thoughts on? No, because I had exactly two minutes before we came in here to actually think about this. So I'm I'm feeling resentful towards you for putting me in this position. Well, but I am going to. As a music journalist, <laughs> I thought you might have thought about these kind of things already. But I am going to go with. Let me think about it. Um, Got a couple, if you want me to write. Um, so I'm thinking of a Marilyn Manson stuff. And interesting. Why? Uh, no, go on, go on. No, go. On. What's your which one? What are you thinking? I was thinking of um, the love song and the fight song from Hollywood, just because. Mm. Just because personally, like when I go to America or see stuff about America or. I don't know, the lyrics from both of those songs often like come into my mind, like Do You Love Your Guns, God and Government and the fight song like about the lyrics where it's all kind of talking about, um, you know, I'm not a slave to a God that doesn't exist. And it was sort of trying to break down that kind of um, slavish, controlling devotion to Christianity that the uh, mainstream American society was perpetuating and sort of talking about conservative middle America and... Um, that whole thing it was after it was post Columbine and so it was sort of trying to kind of talk about what kind of um, world people were growing up in well America it was trying to talk about the society you know what I'm talking about it was trying to talk about the society which raises people in this atmosphere of guns God and government and what it does and him sort of setting himself aside from that that's really interesting so you're thinking about it more from a cultural touchstone yeah kind that's of what thing. I was thinking about I was that's thinking because cool. it came into my mind when I was looking at the question were there any songs like we're talking about with Rage were there any songs that actually got people talking sort of changed people's minds and that kind of thing I hadn't thought about it really musically it was just kind of the sense of the lyrics and the love song and the fight song I think as time has gone by as I've got older and as well I feel like those songs have kind of even more relevance almost or even more meaning don't know just kind of interesting really the whole Manson touchstone thing that's cool Jonathan you just mentioned that you've got one more yeah just, just want to very, very very quickly, quickly. Vegan by uh, Vodruna it's just the most beautiful you know song about you know you know to set you off you know a song about death and to take to the other side and it's just such a rallying point for for people who are into the whole kind of you know sort of pagan pagan world and I'm sure like you, a few years down you know a few decades down the line it's going to be everyone's funeral song it's and the most wow. beautiful beautiful song and you're right that is another vibe that is everywhere at the moment cool well my answer is a bit basic compared to your <laughs> both of yours um i th- I just kind of thought of that songs have been extru- hugely influential to the metal scene and in a way the two i thought of like you could kind of say for better or worse depending on your perspective one's probably a bit controversial because i thought of lincoln park and something like <gasps> I paper cut that. um purely for two reasons firstly that it I mean, you could pick any song off Hybrid Theory, really, but it's, it, it was kind of like the moment a line was drawn in the sand in the metal scene, I think, where um, on one hand, it helped to kick the door down for a whole new generation of fans to get into heavy music. But on the other hand, a lot of metal fans, I think that was the point where they went, that's it, this is not metal. This is this like my... Um, connection with this as a form of heavy music is 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 not existed anymore you know bands like corn and deftones have kind of pushed the envelope a little bit with what you could f- hold under the umbrella of metal 
And then Lincoln Park kind of, I think, drew the line in the sand. And I think that changed the metal scene forever. I think it's what contributed to a lot of the atmosphere you see online now in terms of people's attitudes towards young bands. Um, They undoubtedly inspired a whole generation of heavy bands, many which have been rejected. I think without Lincoln Park, you wouldn't get bands like Mice and Men and Memphis Mayfire and all those kind of shinier, almost from like a production standpoint, uh, metal bands that are out there. Papercut is one of my favourite songs in the world ever. Yeah, right? so, I mean, it's one. Hyper Theory is one of the greatest albums ever made. But yeah, I could I could see why a lot of people would maybe not think um, highly of that as a metal point. The other one, uh, more unarguably a classic example of metal, but maybe what they influenced wasn't so great is Kill Switch Engage with Last Serenade, or maybe yeah. you could pick End of Heartache because it was a bit more polished. But you know, probably more than any other band in the twenty first century basically perfected and then inspired a lot of not quite as good versions of uh, melodic metalcore, which yeah. basically kind of carried the scene for like the better part of 10 years. I kind of feel like it's died out a bit now, but... You'll always remember when you first heard that. Yeah, absolutely. And it just became basically like the blueprint for young bands for about 10 years. Certainly more like mainstream facing metal bands. So I'd those like, are my points anyway. I'd like to pick the whole of White Pony. Uh, yeah, that's a brilliant shout. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely brilliant shout. Again, like musically, production standpoint, so influential. And are there so many more? It's an interesting question because it's like the most important, not necessarily the best. So I'm trying not to like pick all my favourite songs. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely White Pony. Um, what else was like massive? I think I think we've done well there. I think that's a good yeah. a good I little mean, like I said, songs. You, it's going to be fairly arbitrary what you pick because it's such a huge question, but it's yeah. a really good question. Good question, Matt. I need to think more on that question. Let's take the next one. <laughs> Somebody. All right. So, Godsmack. They've done a soapy ballad. Um, <laughs> apparently. So, yeah, apparently so. Has any good come from the success of Disturbed's Simon and Garfunkel song or has it just inspired insipid shit? <laughs> That's from Joe well, think, Fleischer. Uh, Thanks, yeah. Joe. If you ask David Draymond if any good has come from the Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> cover, I think he'd say, fuck yeah. It's yeah. the biggest thing they've ever done. But, I don't um, mind Schmaltz, as long as it just, you, you're fully... I don't mind anything as long as you're fully It's a great cover as well. It. People don't really give it credit know. for yeah, what the cover it, it is. It kind of is. I, I, I obviously, I like, the, I like the original. I do too, but and it's a great cover. you bring up the fact that David's got a good voice. You actually do like his voice, don't you? Even if you don't really like Disturbed. I, I think he's, uh, technically he's got a good voice, but there's a lot of people who... I think a lot of the music is just... Um, hear my voice without about me it's not really about me like having a good voice gives you a lot of license to make really shitty music <laughs> <laughs> it's, Interesting. True. It's, it's true it's just but a lot of the, i don't i mean I, i'm not gonna have a have a go at disturbed at all actually but um because i've got a microphone did, and she's not about to smack did, you with it <laughs> but i did but i did think that um that the last album was just showing off his voice more than it was actually thinking about itself as an album and that's interesting I f- well, I felt like they were torn on the last record because it was split 50-50 ballads, 50-50 ballads. Well, with the question... 50 not, ballads, 50 bangers. It's not really about Disturbed, though, is it? It's about the no. knock-on effect of that unbelievable breakthrough, breakthrough song, which has done like a billion views on YouTube or something ridiculous. I wouldn't necessarily say it's inspired Insipid shit because I think people were doing Insipid ballads before he started doing that but i would say that it seems like ballads are successful on commercial radio especially in the states yeah. so i think not just people ba- might just do one because why not it'll probably do well i think it's not just about ballads as well i think it's about cover songs to be honest because if you look at other kind of radio friendly metal bands um and you know there is that term radio metal it kind of means that like simple chugging brat band of metal 
bands like Five Finger Death Punch always do covers because it gets picked up on Spotify really successfully. It gets picked up on radio. Bad Wolves broke through with a huge cover with Zombie. So I don't really think it's necessarily about syrupy ballady stuff. I think it's shown that metal bands can be quite savvy in if they basically do a well-worked, slightly heavier cover of a very famous pop track, it will get them attention. And it works. Like, it really works. Yeah, I, I don't think a ballad is inherently insipid. I mean... Absolutely not. Ballads you know, are we, great. We all, we all love right? a good power ballad. My, my, you know, my one of my favorite ballads in recent years was actually from the last Wasp album, Golgotha, a song called Miss You. And I think it's one of my favorite all time power ballads. I think, um, we're gonna have to get a lock on that door. (laughs) (laughs) I think an on air sign, perhaps. I think that the Godsmack track that Joe might be referring to is Under Your Scars. I'm not entirely sure, but that seems to be kind of the most recent ballad. And to be fair, it is very syrupy and it has lyrics about the stars and it's all kind of, you know, oh, nothing wrong with a bit of syrup. How is our relationship going? I'm a bit worried about it, sort of ballad. (laughs) Well, we can all relate to that. Um, so yeah, I I wouldn't say this is like the best ballad. A five finger death punch ballady. They're pretty. Uh, they do some big yeah, ballads. Yeah, do. absolutely. They, they're they're a good example of a band that can do a good power ballad. Actually, you have to always put your lighter in the eye. In the eye in the sky. <laughs> Steady on. <laughs> Don't do that. Say the sky. Don't do that. Uh, Sam oh. Welch says uh, after L talking about Queen of the Damned soundtrack last week, we had a big discussion about our favorite horror movies or some horror movies you should watch if you uh, missed that one. What is the best rock and metal song from a movie or TV soundtrack? I've got one simple answer for this. I'm just going with Queen of the Damned again for the, just the whole thing. Fine. Um, I Disappear by Metallica for Mission Impossible 2. That's good. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I don't like soundtracks that are rock, that are songs. I like soundtracks that are soundtracks. There's a few songs I like. Uh, I really love that that were made for movies that aren't metal. Uh, Merry Christmas to Lawrence, uh, a song called for- Forbidden Colours by David Sylvian from Japan. And reaching a rest second moment is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Um, I just love stuff like, but I love stuff like John Carpenter and. Um, oh, I love John Carpenter absolutely. And uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of yeah. I just lo- I love a lot of soundtrack music. The um, I, s- I spent a lot of my time listening to the uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine soundtrack. Oh, so cool. And Vangelis. Um, yeah, but I I I like I like me I like film music that has soundtrack music do you know what's a great soundtrack um, that I probably like more than I actually like the film is Gravity have you seen mm. that film yeah, with I've Sandra seen Bullock film, but I don't I, remember I the remember the it's weird because I watched the sound I think because I watched the film on a flight so I couldn't really take in the amazing visuals of yeah, it and stuff cool. but the, it, the whole time the whole th- thing I was thinking was this soundtrack sounds amazing and it is absolutely awesome I, it's one of my favourites I'll tell you what is really good is the uh, well off piece from the question here yeah but, but uh, I'm bringing it back in so I don't know if, it, if you've, you've been watching the Watchmen TV series no I haven't yet it's, it's on my so odd but, it's, watch but it. um, it's got Trent Reznor doing the soundtrack and Atticus ah, Ross course, yeah. and it's and I wasn't sure if it worked at first but it's actually no it's absolutely great and I'm, I'm sure he's going to release that separately at some point but the, yeah, the Watchmen program, the TV series, is so odd, and I'm just like, it's just like every every episode is like more questions than answers. But it's it's totally worth watching. Awesome. So when you said you're going to bring that back, you meant you're going to put it off on even more of a tangent to <laughs> 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 my TV show. They are releasing the Watchmen music in three volumes, and the first volume was released on Monday. Ah, there you go. Out now. Uh, someone do the final question, which is another good question. Alex Plank really good says. It feels like Conjure left everyone with incredibly high expectations of what they're capable of after smashing their sold-out headline UK tour. 
Can you remember walking away from any notable gigs, expecting the band to blow up in the next three to five years? Conjurer are a fantastic band, and it's great to see everyone so excited about them. I remember seeing Two Assessors' first London gig. <laughs> The way you started that, I really wasn't expecting you to say to yeah. me that. I thought you were going to say, like, I thought you were going to say, like, Slayer or something. And I was like, I was there. <laughs> Went yeah. to Reza's. <laughs> well, but you, you forget how big two assess were at some point. No, they were. They were a huge deal. They and had the thousands of people at the yeah, at download going, absolutely love losing assess, their mind. But um, yeah, I, saw them at, I saw them at the Underworld in London in front of 50 people. Wow. And um, I was, and, yeah, especially when they did uh, talking about covers, you know, the cover of Rasputine. And I was just like, this band are going to be absolutely massive. So I was um, in charge of a magazine at that point. And I was like, I know when the next album comes out, they're going to be on the cover of this magazine. And they were. But I, you could just tell, even in front of 50 people, that this band were going to be absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah, they were actually on the cover of the same magazine I was at uh, yeah. later on. Um, yeah, they were. I mean, it seems like that kind of... I don't want to say wacky because there's actually a lot of genuine historical context to what they do. And, and a lot of they're not a comedy no, band. And a lot of musical knowledge in what Two Assess did. Yeah, definitely. Um, but and also, the, again, they're very meta. They're really like self-referential, but really funny. Yeah, totally. And it, but it seems like that kind of slightly weirder power slash folky slash nerd metal scene throws up a kind of almost like a viral sensation every now and again. And Teresa was definitely that for a yeah, while. Yeah, I don't know how big, it, but it wasn't even that big back then, I guess. It was like, I guess it would have been about early 2000s. when Yeah, kind of mid 2000s, I'd say, yeah. Um, it would have been before, yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe I mean, they, right. were, they were they were kind of that kind band of that like everyone was talking about and everyone had to see it. And like now you probably say like Ailstorm or something is in that gap. Again, yeah, I'm not saying it's got the same yeah, gravitas. No, but, but I remember Ailstorm supporting Tourisass. Um, I was at that gig. At, at the Electric Ballroom. Yeah, with uh, someone else was on that bill as well. Yeah, and I can't remember who it was. But uh, you could tell Ailstorm are going to be big then as well too. Yeah, people are excited about it. Yeah, I remember that. Um, El, you got any, any picks for this? Well, no. <laughs> You'd be a terrible A and R. Yeah, it's true. I'm racking my brains trying to think of because it's not just sort of seeing a band and thinking they might be big. It's like seeing a band and thinking that was fucking amazing and coming out of it like totally amazed by it. I'm trying to think of any. Well, nice you could. Ones. Oh, I suppose yeah. Uh, Alex is talking about like being blown away by a band but you could pick a band that you just looked at and thought yeah they're going to be big well we all thought Crossface were going to be big well they were the first band I thought of and weirdly a lot of the bands I've got that came to mind actually didn't necessarily end up being big which I don't know is my terrible you were terrible at now yeah t terrible uh, yeah terrible at picking bands or that I think Crossface um, instance they didn't make some of the best musical decisions they could have but when that band first broke and that first Zion EP came out um and they did. I mean, the first time I ever saw them was at the because I remember they supported Sleeps and I didn't see them uh, on that run. But then I saw them at Vans Warped Tour 2012 in the little basement venue um, downstairs at Alexandra Palace. And um, it was just absolute fucking mayhem. And I'd never seen anything like it. This kind of heavy band channeling like the Prodigy meets Enter Shikari meets like, like really heavy like metal riffs. It was just absolute bedlam and i came out of that convinced that they were going to be you know that they could be headlining brixton academy in five to six years times i gen i genuinely believe that and and i do wonder what would have happened if they hadn't gone down the road of trying to fit in with that kind of more polished chorusy 
kind of Vans. I mean, they were playing warped or that kind of Vans warped metal that they ended up going down. I think when it when it felt more chaotic and just kind of ravey and crazy, I think it felt more exciting. Um, I mean, they're still doing good stuff, and that you know they're still playing decent venues over here. They've got another tour coming out at the start of next year. Um, but I genuinely thought they were going to be massive. Um, Upon a Ben and Body were another one that I thought were going to be bigger than they ended up. That stupid stunt they did definitely didn't help them. Um, but they, when they supported Trivium at Shepherd's Bush Empire, I think it was about 2012, they just absolutely tore the place down. Um, again, I came out of that being like, this band could be massive. Um, oh, actually, I've got a note on Crossface because after Crossface played that Fans Warped Tour, Barry Tomorrow came on next. And already being a fan of Barry Tomorrow, I remember thinking they've really got their like hands full trying to follow that and they actually absolutely killed it um and that was a really good indication to me that they they were a band that could really step up to like a bit of pressure and and not being overshadowed and you know they're doing the roundhouse in a few weeks time which is really exciting um baby metal seemed like uh, an obvious thing when they did sonosphere and they just drew this massive crowd that was like just didn't know what the hell was going on and then they did i think the forum maybe the next day and then yeah. within not too long they were doing Wembley and all sorts so that was I mean, that I had viral thought, sensation written all over I it I definitely thought that but it's like almost when they came over they weren't even at that sort of small band status because they just got so much hype around them it's like they were already really hyped up yeah totally but, it, but I think a lot of people thought it might burn out and yeah, I guess, you know, yeah. even now they're doing Hammersmith Apollo which is not a small venue yeah. you, amongst others she also appeared out of nowhere with absolutely no hype it's like anyone who saw the first two Highland concerts yeah like that's a good Fest shout or Midgarge Blue um, I would have loved to have seen that. It was just, uh, you, people had no idea what the f- what was going on. Uh, but yeah, like I said, that, the entire field was just like like a big pagan Viking rave by the end of it. Awesome. And yeah, and now they're playing the Roundhouse on Sunday. Um, one other that came to mind for me was first time I saw Five Finger Death Punch, funnily enough, uh, mm. um, at, uh, a festival called Hammerfest, which Metal Hammer helped to establish and, and used to be... Uh, uh, used to be a really cool thing um, up in Wales back in the day and about 10 years ago um, I saw them headline that and I hadn't seen them before and I only knew a couple of their songs and people were really going for it then and you could really see that they were striking a chord with a kind of very fundamental like heavy fucking like we like metal crowd um, I haven't explained that very well but you know that kind of Pantera-y Lamagody kind of audience you could see they were really like striking a chord with them that was a good sign um, one recent one I'd like to say is Carpenter Brute at Coco last year. Mm. Um, uh, Jonathan knew at that and yeah, I've never was... seen um, such a mixed crowd of so many different types of music fan all losing their absolute shit and pitting so much... and dancing and crowd surfing. Just, and... Like, I was so dubious about the whole synthwave thing as an 80s kid and I went there. I've no, a, I've never seen so much joy in a room and just like it just hit a pleasure centre and just kept on drilling at it. Yeah. It was, ama- it was amazing. It was spectacular. I was, I was completely converted. I think um, I think they, because they, they played some other shows off the back of that quite quickly, but now Carpenter Root's gone away again for a little bit. And I think there's still some, there's really something in that scene that I think could be uh, a big deal for many years to come. Uh, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you for always as tuning in. What did I just say? What just came out of my mouth? I didn't hear the words. I just, I don't know what that sentence was. Thank you as always for tuning in is what I meant to say, but that's not what I think I said. Um, <laughs> we're all going bowling later. So Yay. maybe I'll regale the good people of the Metal Hummer podcast with how I smashed everyone. Um, and if we don't mention it, it means that didn't happen. I thought we were going to go on teams. Uh, on my own team. <laughs> 
One man team. Self team. One man wolf pack. That was a topical joke. Never uh, mind. You didn't get it. Whatevs. I'm going to command the pins to fall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to use a bonny ball. I command thee to fall. It's like Magneto, but for like <laughs> heavy kind of you plastic. I can well imagine you doing that, summoning the dark forces to make it go down the lane. It's going to be an interesting <laughs> night. Who knows? Uh, yeah, we're celebrating what's been a great year at Metal Hammer. Um, so thanks as always to everyone that supported us. It's been a really great year to be on the magazine and we're very excited about what we've got coming up. Uh, but that's for the future. In the meantime, don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer with Five Finger Death Punch out right now. Uh, it's got a beautiful shoot and amazing interview and loads of other cool stuff in it as well. Uh, we will see you all next week. Goodbye, Goodbye everybody. Goodbye. Say bye. <laughs>